Hello, and welcome to Season of the Bitch, where we bring you news of socialist feminist movements from all over the world, because women oppressed anywhere are women oppressed everywhere. Today we have Walida and Laura. We are excited to be joined today by Maida Kota. I, I met Maida a few months ago when she gave a presentation on socialist feminism for my DSA chapter here in Chicago. Maida, welcome. Welcome. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, Laura. Thank Valida for having me. <laughs> <laughs> um, Maida, can we start by having you introduce yourself in whatever way you feel comfortable? Of course, yes. Um, so I'm Brazilian. I'm from Brazil. I've been involved in feminist struggles since ever, <laughs> since I was super young. I'm here in the U.S. I'm a lawyer. Uh, I'm here in the U.S. doing my Ph.D. in politics uh, with Nancy Fraser. And yes, I've been uh, flirting with DSA for four years now since I arrived here. I really um, admire them the organization and i'm really excited to be here with you today yay we're so excited to have you (laughs) yeah it's gonna be a good conversation um you have written a lot about feminism and capitalism and you have a unique perspective that focuses on this issue within the context of of latin america which historically has been the sort of american playground for right-wing policies and coups, um, were very, very involved in Latin America, not in a good way. Uh, you yourself are from Brazil. For our listeners who might not be completely familiar with the new president uh, down there, uh, Bolsonaro, could you tell us a little bit about his rise and the former leader of the leftist party, Lula da Silva, who is currently in prison, just so we can get a sort of landscape of what's happening in Brazil right now? Yes, uh, I think it's really, I think we would need probably... I don't know, more than 10 days to explain what's going on in Brazil right now. (laughs) Of course. Uh, Yes. Uh, But, you know, the rise of Bolsonaro, he was elected last November uh, in the last elections. He was elected with a good majority. Um, The second place in the running was the Workers' Party candidate, Fernando Haddad, um, who wasn't going to be the, the candidate. The, pres- the candidate would be Lula, but Lula was arrested last year as well. By the, ju- the judge who ordered his arrest, Sergio Moro, is now Bolsonaro's um, chief of justice. Um, so it's been, and since, um, since June this year, uh, the Intercept in Brazil, Glenn Greenwald has released, he has had access to messages exchanged uh, between the prosecutors of Lava Jato, the Operation Car Washed, the operation that arrested Lula. Um, and he, this, these leaks of messages exchanged between the prosecutors for, for over more than three years that Glenn Greenwald had access to is showing us uh, little by little because he's re- releasing the contents in a very interesting pace. Every week we have something new. It's showing how political the persecution was, mm-hmm. how they forged, how they um, produced and forged evidence to uh, so that they could arrest Lula before the elections. It was almost a certainty that Lula would be the president elected if he wasn't in jail. And we still and the reason why he's arrested is still very contested. It's still in in a trial that is full of 
um, disregard for due process and, you know, just political um, a political thrust into getting him into prison. So that's that's the connection between Lula's prison and the rise of Bolsonaro, how instrumental his uh, chief of justice now was into getting Lula arrested so Bolsonaro could be elected. I'm not saying that this is the only reason, mm -hmm. um, because Bolsonaro is also, it, he also represents uh, a, a, a popular turn in, in, in Brazil society. He, he's also supported by people who, and we're going to talk about this today, I think, I, I believe, but he's also supported by people who are against um, uh, feminism, who are against um, all the progress that uh, we've been seeing the country in the last uh, decade. Yeah, I, that's what is really interesting, too. I think when I when people ask, like, how did Trump get elected? I'm like, let's not forget that there's like this whole resurgence of like racism and fascism and exactly. like all this other shit that's happening, too. And of course, there are like political and economic ramifications that kind of set the stage for that. But like also people are having this like particularly white, cis, straight men are having who have a lot of money are having this kind of like backlash um, exactly. But yes, yes. No, that's really, really interesting. Yeah, the global rise of fascism. Um, well, when capitalism in crisis, this is this is the direction totally. it goes. Either hard, exactly. left, hard right or hard left. And, and a lot of these exactly. places are hard right. It's, yeah. the, it's the interregnum period that we're living in. Crisis of representation, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, well put. Um, so... Tell us about a little bit about the, so you said, uh, you know, the sort of rise of, of right-wingism in Brazil, which we're certainly familiar with here in the U.S., very much anti-immigrant, anti-women, um, anti, any, basically anyone who's not white Christian um, mm -hmm. here in the U.S. Uh, and you have um, a lot of knowledge about the feminist movements, uh, feminist movement in Brazil and in Latin America. Uh, could you talk a little bit about what's happening in Brazil specifically with women's rights, um, in Brazil specifically, and uh, any countries down in Latin America that might also be the worst transgressors uh, against women's rights? Yes. Uh, well, Bolsonaro was elected in a clear anti-feminist agenda. And when I say clear, it's really clear. His sons, uh, they are in this crusade against feminism. His son, who will probably be the Brazilian ambassador to the U.S., has um, written and posted online how fem all the cliches feminists don't feminists have hairy arm armpits they don't shower <laughs> yes. you know all from all of that and feminism is destroying the family and gender ideology is teaching kids teaching children uh, how to have sex with their parents this sort of nonsense <laughs> yes yes just so you have an idea and it's something that is all Brazilians um, know that, but it's it gives you uh, for everybody else gives it gives a dimension of how serious it is. Mm. Um, there was a huge uh, 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 push of WhatsApp messages mm -hmm. uh, during the elections. This is how the fake news circulated during the elections, yeah. um, and it's been uh, there is a huge investigation on this how um, Bolsonaro supporters were paying for this uh, sending of, uh, massive sending of uh, 
sending messages on WhatsApp in a massive scale. Um, and the news, let's say, the, the piece of fake news, actually, that was most mostly shared in social media, in WhatsApp, was this one saying that the Workers' Party government um, had this policy to distribute uh, bottles for babies. Mm-hmm. But the tip of the bottle was this little penis. <gasps> yes. And there was a picture of the bottle, with which I can only imagine was something, I don't know, some material for <laughs> a bachelorette party, something like <laughs> yeah. that. Jesus. Uh, but Sounds there was right. a picture of this baby bottle with a little penis in the top for the, the baby to suck from. And, and, you know, and they said that this was the official policy of the Workers' Party. Oh and God. that's what... That, exactly. So <laughs> we, we have this joke that, you know, uh, Bolsonaro won because people were afraid of little dicks in baby bottles. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, oh my god is- heteronormativity is so intense <laughs> yes and it's so fragile right yes. you're gonna get this little dick for a baby and everybody's gonna be gay yes oh my god oh, yeah so that's wow. that's the state of the land right now um so it's as as ludicrous and as ridiculous as it is here i mean mm-hmm. just crazy totally. yes completely there is the most the more um not so the um, nonsense aspect of it, that it's the fight for abortion, right? Feminists in Brazil, uh, last year we had this huge, before the election, before the elections, the, this huge festival to pressure the Supreme Court to give access to abortion to all women. Right now in the country, you only have access in three cases, in case of rape, um, in case of uh, danger, life-threatening um, problem for the mother, or um, in case of a baby, a fetus that has no possibility to survive outside the womb. Mm-hmm. Um, so these are the only three cases that uh, abortion is allowed in the country. And even in those cases, sometimes the access is really restrict. Yeah. Um, and, and so we have this huge push to legalize and decriminalize abortion in the country, and the uh, evangelicals are and Catholics are really against, and they are a very strong political force in the country right now. I think this is something very urgent for us to address. This is something that we need to be aware of, how white evangelicals in the U.S. are united with the evangelicals in Brazil, the evangelicals in in the whole Latin American region, in Africa, to have this push against queer rights, against feminist right, against gender rights, against feminism. There is this ideology war going on, right? And we are, I'm not going to say that we are losing it, because I don't think we actually are. I think I'm very optimistic. I think we're very strong. The resistance is also super strong. Um, and I think we have advances that we're going to keep. But there is, I mean, we have had, we have had, losses, right? Bolsonaro's election is a huge loss uh, for us in that aspect because he was supported in largely by this anti-feminism, um, anti-almost misogynist um, uh, ideas and ideology. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I mean, our president was elected after mm. saying he likes to grab women by the pussy. So we definitely... 
have a lot of that here. Yeah, exactly. Uh, There is, and now right now in Brazil, it's so bizarre. There are a lot of of those, you know, uh, group support for heterosexual men. Mm. (laughs) You know this. uh, You know. they must yeah, need it. They really need it. Yes. <laughs> we were left behind, right? This uh, is about backlash, but this sense of, you know, white heterosexual men have just been left behind by all of this, and we need to <laughs> reclaim our, our power. And just last week, Bolsonaro said that his priority now will be to uh, uh, pass a legislation in Congress um, that will prevent schools from teaching what he calls gender ideology. Oh, my God. Yes. And this is, I mean, last week, during the UN, this week, during the UN Assembly, uh, General Assembly, um, the, the document about uh, universal health coverage only got a consensus when the term sexual and, product- and, sexual and reproductive rights was taken out of it. Right, mm, yeah. and this was a pressure from the U.S. So there is this global um, ideological war going on around the idea of gender, and which is crazy because you know, I mean, I think we're also against gender, right? <laughs> this Butler, of course, yeah, <laughs> uh, idea of you know, we don't want to put people into boxes. We want to talk about sexuality more in a more fluid and free way, but you know, it's just. It's insane. It's, it's definitely frightening to some people. Um, yeah, we, we have we have the same thing. So my family's from the Middle East, and there's absolutely a strong evangelical vein also mm-hmm. there. Um, mm-hmm. Believe it or not, they they, they go to uh, Iraq, for example, and they proselytize in a lot of the Christian communities and the, some of the non-Christian communities, especially in the north. Um, to, to push against these very same ideas. I mean, when I was I was working there in 2011, I was working on an education program on women's rights um, to try to change the curriculum to incorporate women's uh, women and girls' rights into their human rights curriculum in their law schools and in their in their elementary and high schools. And they pushed back very hard on the on the word gender. We had to take the word gender out of the mm-hmm. project because mm-hmm. when they heard gender, they they heard gay. They're like, oh, you're going to teach all of our children to be gay. And I was just like, okay. You can't teach that. It's just magical if it happens upon you. (laughs) You're just either lucky enough to be born gay or you're not. Yes. Um, Yes. (laughs) Exactly. You know, we have this joke in Brazil that there is this, um, in Brazil, conversion therapy, Mm -hmm. uh, the name for it is like gay cure, something like Mm -hmm. this. Uh, and we always joke that they should come up with a heterosexual cure because I mean, <laughs> wants to be a heterosexual, right? right? <laughs> it's 2019. The straights are losing. Exactly. Accept it. Move on. I was hoping. So, when I was in grad school, I did a bunch of studies in Latin America as well. Um, and I think it's really interesting when when we think about continental. Um, trends because of Mm -hmm. course you know there's there's times when you really need to be country specific or community specific um and so I was just curious like I guess kind of taking a step back in like what do you notice are the main trends continentally when it comes to um feminism as well as like where do you feel like you need to make distinctions like Brazil being part of BRICS um 
you know, and economically being quite different than some of the other nations in Latin America. Like, I guess, where do you see where you need to make distinctions and where do you see where you feel like you're, you can make these um, larger trends? Yes, I think there is this. Um, so I think abortion is one of the most um, unifying um, battles that we have in terms of uh, questions in terms of solidarity in the region. Right. I think um, when we talk about feminism and feminist struggles, um, there is much more solidarity in the region than in in other areas, mm. right? And that we see, it's different from the indigenous questions, for instance, that we can talk more about later. That I think Brazil has a more um, imperialistic um, um, uh, uh, role within the region, right? Mm-hmm. The, the local imperialistic uh, role in the region. Um, but the trends that, is, for instance, Argentina started Niuna Menos, right? It was this huge feminist movement. Uh, the green panuelos took over all the region. We we use them in Brazil. Uh, they they've been they've been used in Chile. Chile had the largest women's strike last year, mm-hmm. and there is this reverberation of feminist struggles. Mexico in 2016 had the Viva Nos uh, We want us Alive, alive, and this year in August, it started the mobilization. Nos están matando, nos están violando, y el gobierno no lo, lo están permitiendo. They are killing us, they are raping us, and the government is allowing all of this. And it's a huge mass mobilization. It's been women have been taken to the streets. Um, there is uh, in the region there there are these uh, networks of lawyers to fight for rights, and we're very connected, um, fight for women's rights, and it's very connected all across the region. Uh, and, and everywhere, a uh, couple of weeks ago, Oaxaca was the second stage just after Mexico City to legalize abortion uh, up until the uh, 12th week, week. And we all celebrate it, mm-hmm. right? We get this news, we all celebrate it, we feel energized. So in Latin America, there is this really strong, powerful solidarity among women, and we see a victory uh, somewhere, and it's a victory for, for all of us. Mm-hmm. And but of course the limits to that uh, is that, um, like you said, there are uh, the the fact that Brazil occupies this position of this um, sort of imperialistic um, actor within the region. It also um, makes us blind, or not blind, but um, we just we are not that concerned. Uh, uh, for instance, um, about the Caribbean. We mm-hmm. don't have a lot of news from the Caribbean, sure. right? Yeah. Um, I mean, Belize in, Trin- in Trinidad just got rid of their um, sodomy laws, yeah. right? But St. Vincent still has sodomy laws, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, and now it's, it's, it's doing this huge effort, uh, queer movements there to... Uh, get rid of, you know, criminalizing uh, uh, any kind of sexuality that is not heterosexual. Mm. Um, and we are not really talking much about this, right? So there is this dynamic that is very 
well, under capitalism, right, uh, the, 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 the local economic powers, they, they, is, they ended up being more concerned ex to external problems than the, the problems of, of the countries, the, the smaller countries in the region, right? So we know in Brazil right now, we know about Mexico and Argentina and Chile, and we are together in Colombia and we have solidarity, but we know much more about what's going on with feminists in Europe than what's going on with mm. feminists and queer movements in the Caribbean. So this, sure. is, this is an issue to be addressed, to be more horizontal, which is also what feminism teaches us, right? I, I mean, I've, I've been doing a, um, feminist movement, I've been part of feminist movements for more than a decade now and uh, almost two decades now and <laughs> yes <laughs> time time goes by yes <laughs> and, and i've it has always been an experience of spaces that are very horizontal and they're very, trying really hard to not commit any sort of epistemic violence and not to silence any sort of uh, weaker voice in the public space and i think that's that's a challenge that we still have in the region. Definitely. Um, you mentioned, you know, you kind of started tapping into a, a bit about um, indigenous rights and the indigenous experience in Brazil. Um, the government has escalated attacks against the indigenous nations of Brazil. Um, can you talk a little bit about that and how they are fighting back? Yes. Um, so I think this is something that reached this global audience about the fires in the Amazonia, right? Yeah. Which is, Bolsonaro was elected, uh, part of his support comes from the agribusiness by the big soy producers that for them, they don't see Amazonia as this important part of the planet that we need to conserve, that we need to protect, um, that we need to learn from the populations that live there, they see as this land that is just going idle and could been used could have been used to plant more soybeans to yeah. feed more cattle. Mm -hmm. um, so this is and this is a huge part of Bolsonaro's support. Um, we we know now that the day that Amazonia was burning, that the fires were started by uh, farmers of the region that are Bolsonaro supporters, and they did this fire day that just to show support of the for the president, to show that they could just get into those lands and just put fire in them and then use to uh, harvest soil, uh, soybeans. Mm. Um, and the indigenous populations, uh, they are at the forefront of that. I, this is something uh, when wherever there are indigenous populations, this is where the land is most protected. Mm -hmm. This is where the land is most conserved. Um, this is it's the best. It's not only a matter that is already important in itself, a matter of historical justice to recognize indigenous lands, uh, but it's also a matter of good policy. If you if you if you declare a land an indigenous land to be protected, the indigenous populations will protect the land. They will preserve it. Um, and the role of women in, in that has been amazing. 
the indigenous women, they led the opposition to Bolsonaro during the climate summit at the UN. So they were the main voice. Sonia Guajajara, uh, who was the first vice president to run an election here, uh, to an election in Brazil, he was the vice candidate at the Socialist and, Socialist and Freedom Party ticket, uh, together with uh, Boulos, uh, the uh, PSOL. Um, she was here. She was the one of the most important voices to, to speak at the, the summit. Celia uh, Chacriaba, also uh, important Indigenous women in the leader, uh, leading this this movement. Uh, indigenous women they marched now in August 9th, It was before the fires. There were more than two thousand women in Brasilia, representing one hundred and thirteen indigenous people, wow. peoples in in the country. So they were marching to pressure the government to legally recognize indigenous territories. The theme of the march was this beautiful slogan: "Territories, our body, our spirit." Just so powerful. Yeah. Uh, so yes, there is indigenous uh, populations in the country. They are fighting back. They are resisting. Of course, they are under a lot of pressure and there are a lot of violence. When <laughs> Bolsonaro, when he was at the UN, he was opening the General Assembly and he took time of his speech to attack one of the most important indigenous leadership in the country that we have now, Kasiki Haoni, mm. who is being actually nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, we are in this campaign to to uh, for him to be the Nobel Peace Prize because this would be such an important message to to send to uh, to send Bolsonaro's government. So yes, not mm. uh, there is there is a lot of resistance, but the the violence of the attack against indigenous population is also really worrisome. Yeah, extremely violent and destructive. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, so you talked a little bit about the feminist movement against uh, the government and Bolsonaro in particular. You wrote an article with Nancy Fraser, one of the authors of Feminism for the 99%, that talks about the, and I don't know if I'm going to say this correctly, Ellen Yao movement? Ellen Yao, yes. Ellen Yao, okay. Mm-hmm. Can, you, can you tell us a little bit, for listeners who might not be familiar, familiar um, a little bit about what feminism for the 99% is and a little bit about this movement. Yes, uh, so feminism for the 99% was this manifesto uh, published, now it's published, um, it became this little great book by Nancy Fraser, Cinzia Ruza, and Titi Bachakraya. Um, and it's actually a product, a result of uh, the the feminist uh, feminist strikes women's strikes mm-hmm. all over the world that has been happening since uh, 2017 and 2016 actually and uh, it's it's a response it's a response both to liberal feminism you know, this, this feminism that is about being the boss, climbing mm-hmm. the corporate ladder, and all of that. that is just I'm not bossy, so, I'm the boss. Yeah. Yes, exactly, <laughs> exactly. It's the leaning feminism, you know. Yeah. Feminism is just uh, getting, yeah, getting, see, getting more women CEOs, right? Yep. Yes, and then, but like they say in the manifesto, we are breaking the glass ceiling and leaving the shatters behind for a racialized women to come with a broom and swipe it, right? Yeah. And, and clean up the mess. Yeah. Um, I love that. Yes, it's such a powerful image, and it's yeah. precisely that. 
And Elinor is, 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 comes, comes at this moment um, last year before the elections. So Elinor means not him. It was this um, organization that actually started really spontaneously and took to the streets and hundreds of thousands of women went to the streets to protest Bolsonaro for him not to be elected. It happened um, in September 25th last year. It was two weeks before the elections and it was actually the largest uh, street demonstration that we had that last year in the country. So the mobilization, the feminist women's mobilization against Bolsonaro, the Edino, um had a lot, gained a lot of traction among um, uh, in Brazil, not just among women, but you know, it was led by women and feminists. Um, but everybody who was resisting Bolsonaro took it to the streets. It was very, very powerful, uh, very important. So because women are in leading the resistance everywhere. Yeah. Yep. environmental struggles and uh, feminist struggles. We are the, the main voices leading the resistance because we are the most affected ones. Yeah. Uh, women led um, the resistance against the pension reform in the country because women are the most affected by pension reforms. Um, yeah, so so Elina was, was this um, demonstration uh, last year that sparked the reorganization of uh, feminist movements in the country. And I would say that in Brazil right now, feminist struggles, the feminist movements are one of the most uh, vibrant voices in a very despairing scenario. Right? In a moment that we are very, we are still trying to figure out how to organize the resistance in such horrible in such a horrible political conjecture yeah yeah um you kind of already touched on this a little bit um but i loved like well i had to put it into google translate because i can't read portuguese mm. but um <laughs> in, in your one article um you know, the, the translation says, um, and this is kind of quoting from you, in general, from the moment we speak of women as a universal and abstract category, we erase the experience of women who accumulate other kinds of oppression. A liberal mm -hmm. feminism, that feminism that relies on values that exacerbate individualism and notions of formal equality, leaves most women behind. Um, and I think this really taps into the feminism of the 99% that you were just speaking to. And I guess my question is, are there specific similarities between the bourgeois feminism of the U.S. and its counterpart in Brazil? Um, or do you see distinct differences? Uh, I think both. Uh, the, I'm going to start with the differences. I think the differences is that in Brazil right now, we have such a serious situation that um, we are united more strongly. There's not, because the enemy we have against us is so strong, um, we are prioritizing alliances. Um, that being said, the similarities that we need to be really um, aware of, and it's something, you know, it's a constant tension that I think it's an urgent task for us to to um, uh, 
to deal with. And it's not divisionism, it's not, you know, fractionism. It's just we need to address that. There is also a um, um, hegemony struggle, mm-hmm. a hegemony battle happening within feminist movements in Brazil because part of those movements are very liberal, are yeah. v- very much about, you know, famous white women just saying they are feminists and saying that, you know, let's lean in and feminism is more CEOs and this sort of representation and which don't get me wrong, representation is super important, but it's, it's, it's not the whole story. Right. Um, So there is, uh, I really like what I said in this (laughs) <laughs> yes, of course. <laughs> uh, sorry, um, but but you know when we talk about women in general, and usually when we do that, we're talking about about white women. Yeah, yeah. Right? So we need to we need to understand that the class experience and race experiences they they just are are they are just as important as our gender. Uh, and, 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 and they are going to be different from the way we organize our struggles, right? Mm-hmm. We, we need to, to understand that. And I think um, the U.S. Uh, experience within feminist movements has a lot to teach us because if we don't pay attention to that, our feminist struggles in the country will just serve to aid neoliberalism right. more. Yeah. Right, uh, we just be be used to legitimize the expansion of the criminal justice system. Uh, it would just be used to uh, legitimize all this uh, uh, other um, other measures that attack women. Um, they're non-white, not rich, um, but they they are not felt by the um, bourgeois women in the country. So we need to be aware aware of that because there is a risk. Uh, that the feminist movement, uh, the feminist movements in Brazil will be hegemonized by this liberal thrust to them, uh, which it, which is not good. And so, keeping the you know socialist feminism, the feminism mm-hmm. that is also grounded in in, in uh, um, race and class and sexuality, that encompasses women. They're not just white heterosexual women, uh, it's incredibly important. I'm so curious. I wonder, I love, I mean, I love just kind of thinking about hegemony and the ways that it shows up. And I, I think, you know, when you said that um, folks in Brazil are more united, I, I'm always curious at like how pervasive the specific individuality that comes with like the idea of the American dream and like if you work hard, you can achieve anything mentality that really comes with all of that bullshit and like how that makes the how pervasive that is even within the feminist movement in the United States. So anyway, mm-hmm. that just made me have a lot to think about. So thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's that's so true. I mean, it's also something that living here in the U.S. for the past five years has has all, every time I'm confronted with that, it's also it's. 
Yeah, individuality here has liberalism won here. That's, yeah, yeah, that's it, it. it has a life of its own. It's like yes, even even yes. in I feel like that's why there's so much infighting on the left in the United States too. It's like we can't shake this idea of individual values. It's so it's so pervasive. It's yes, yes. I mean, coming from coming from Brazil, coming from South America, I feel there is this difficult in the U.S. to think about more structurally. Mm -hmm. You know, every time we are talking about um, racism, we have a hard time to, uh, and, and, and sexism, um, we have a hard time to understand structures, right? It always comes back to the individual. Uh, whether it's the enemy or uh, the, the the oppressed, the oppressor or the oppressed, it's always individualized. And we have this, I don't know, there is a, this difficult to understand more broadly, right, more structurally, this, these issues. There is a, there's a quote I like to, I think I've said this on different episodes, um, by a black uh, activist, civil rights activist, uh, Stokely Carmichael, who very famously, he was also a socialist, um, he was a leftist uh, civil rights um, activist, and he very famously said, if a white man wants to lynch me, that's his problem. Yeah. If a white man has the power to lynch me, that's my problem. Exactly. So, Perfect. Yeah, it speaks to the structural, like, I don't care about what's in someone's heart. I care about what they're able to do to me. Yeah, right? exactly. Exactly beautifully sums up uh, exactly what you're saying. Exactly. Um, so I I'm have just, a question. Sorry, sorry, go ahead. No, I, I was just going to say that there was this, uh, you were talking about the individuality and the American, it's not for nothing that uh, uh, Ivanka Trump's initiative <laughs> to protect women is this <laughs> women's global development and prosperity initiative. Oh, right? Jesus yeah. fucking empowerment, Christ. <laughs> yeah, empowerment through entrepreneurship. Right. right. It's like, yeah. but honestly, like Hillary Clinton would do the same fucking shit. That's why. Yeah, exactly. Because it's just like there's no difference under capitalism of these like, I don't know, these fucking like entrepreneurial and militaristic women. It's like coming just drives me fucking nuts. <laughs> exactly. Me too. <laughs> and and I think in Brazil, there are a lot of feminists that consider themselves progressive and may, even maybe within the left uh, field uh, that would totally get on board with that. You Ugh. know, entrepreneurship to empower yeah. women. Mm. Let's give microcredit for women to open their own business and, you know... <sighs> complicated shit yeah for sure <laughs> um i have a question about the uh, women's strike um or the general strike we've we've heard a little bit about this here in the u.s um maybe some of our listeners are familiar with it maybe some of them aren't but there there have been women's strikes that have happened internationally um over the last several years, not so much in the United States, but can you tell us a little bit about what that has looked like abroad outside of the U.S. and how you might see it shaking out or shaping up here in the U.S.? Mm -hmm. Yeah, the U.S. in New York, we had uh, a general strike in, in 2016 that was um, big, and so. but the last couple of years, they were definitely smaller while they are increasing in 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 other countries. It actually started in Poland and Spain had the largest one, two million women in the streets. Wow. Um, 
on March 8. March 8 has always been a day of mobilization. It's an important day for us. In Latin America, has always been um, with we, we've always done a lot in, on March 8 um, to to um, get awareness around women's rights and feminist struggles. But the idea of the strike that you know started in, in Poland, Spain, Argentina were the, the leading countries. Um, and now Chile had the largest one uh, this year, which is amazing. Brazil has had also uh, iterations of it. The idea is just to uh, withdraw from labor. And by that, we mean all the labor we do every day. So care labor, emotional labor, domestic labor, all of that, that is a lot of work that is uh, because of the gender division of roles in society, it, it falls to women uh, mm -hmm. to uh, do this kind of work and, and you know, uh, femme subjects. Um, so it's just to get, you know, to give visibility to all of that labor that we do mm -hmm. and to show that if we decide to stop, the system collapses, Yeah. right? Uh, because, you know, Capitalism does not have the resources to uh, wage this kind of labor. Uh, Nancy Fraser has this elaboration that I really like because we always say that, you know, capitalism commodifies everything and that's a problem of the system. But actually for the system, it's very important and fundamental actually for certain things to never be commodified. Mm -hmm. Yep. Like reproductive labor, like yep. the labor of, uh, you know, raising your children, not because it is a labor, but because, you know, it's our nature and it's part of what it means to be a woman. It will make you more fulfilled. It's like, mm -hmm. I don't know, fulfilling your mission in life. Sure. You know, breastfeeding. Um, <laughs> no, and it's a lot of labor. You're making a whole yeah. human being, right? Yeah. You're keeping it alive. It's And, you know, taking care of the household and making sure everybody's well and sane in this world that just make us mentally sick. Yeah. Um, so it's very important for the system to never put a price into that. Or if it does so, it's in terms of service uh, that is just, you know, outsourced and it becomes then a market in itself. But there is a part of it that is never going to be waged because it simply can't. Mm. It simply can't. Yeah. Yeah. It would collapse. There is, there wouldn't be. Imagine if you, in your first job, some your employee had to pay for all the good work that your mother put into you so you could be there in front of the in front of the in front of your boss as this fully yep. formed human being right yep. that didn't when i don't know when you were two years old you didn't stick a finger in the socket and died right? <laughs> <laughs> taking care of you and it's a lot of work Definitely. Uh, but, so reproductive the idea of the strike is to include reproductive labor mm. into what we understand to be labor yeah right labor is not just the work that we're doing and it's being expropriated by, for profit by someone else. There's a lot of labor we do that is invisibilized. And when we strike, so there are two things happening in the strike, uh, in, this, in, in women's strike. One is the visibilization of reproductive work. Mm -hmm. And the other is just rethinking, reviving the tradition of the strike, which mm -hmm. has been kind of dead everywhere, right? But intentionally, yes. right? Like... Yes, cut yes. down with intention by the capitalist class. Of course, yes, yeah. yes. It, it, it was su successfully uh, um, attacked all over. Yeah. And this is yeah. all over. 
So I think it's women's strike is one of the most potent, powerful initiatives that we have today, I think, because, you know, it's just it is it is attacking capitalist system uh, where it hurts, where it really has a potential of making a dent of, you know, destabilizing the, the system by giving visibility to reproductive labor uh, and the importance of it. You know, my, you know, I have this dream, <laughs> that I, this fantasy of, you know, if we stopped having kids for a, a whole year, the system would collapse. There yes. would, there would yeah. be... It would be that amazing, like no babies born because women organize themselves to not give birth, to not reproduce for a whole year, just a year, you know, this would be so amazing. Yeah. This is one of my <laughs> I love this. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, just reinventing, revamping the, the tradition of strike. It's yeah. such an important tradition for workers everywhere. And, and now that women are leading, maybe we can you know, re-energize strikes all over. Yeah. Wow, what a thought experiment. That would be, that would really be something (laughs) that would really be demonstrating our power. Well, we can, maybe we can get there. Yeah. Eventually. Eventually. (laughs) Um, So how can, so leftism is on the, I mean, fascism is on the rise, but so, so is leftism. Um, you know, if you pay any attention to the news, you see a, there's a strike wave happening, not just in the U.S., but we're seeing people coming out in the streets in Hong Kong. We're seeing it in Jordan. We're seeing it in Iraq now. We're seeing it all over Latin America. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really something. It was happening in, in South Africa last week. I saw massive demonstrations in Johannesburg. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe it was Johannesburg. Um, they're, they're everywhere. Ecuador um, now. just Ecuador, yes, yes. That's yes. right. I saw that yesterday because of the gasoline prices. Yes. Um, they're ending the subsidies there, which is making mm-hmm. fuel and everything more expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this is great. I think it's amazing uh, that this is happening. Um, in the U.S., I think it's it's especially important because we're sort of the belly of the beast. If, if mm-hmm. we fall, it would be such an amazing thing if we were to able to reign in the capitalist class here in the U.S. Yes. Very powerful. <laughs> yes. That would reverberate throughout the world. And and I, I, I really believe this. Um, this isn't to diminish leftist movements uh, globally. I think they're just as, they're very important everywhere. Uh, but we just cause so much damage. Yeah. Um, well, and we're raining. just such an imperialistic fuck. So it's like. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. isn't it amazing that we have socialism as a platform now? Yeah. What yes. You, let, let me change roles here. What do you think of that? Because for me, this is so amazing. <laughs> here in the U.S., there is a guy, Bernie Sanders, is running and he's doing so well. And he's a socialist. Yeah. It's, 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 a, it's wonderful to see because I grew up. You know, I, I came of political age under the Clintons. The Clintons were the furthest left thing that we've that we'd seen, um, <laughs> you know, yeah. in the 90s. And, the, and, you know, the economy was doing well and everybody sort of believed in this third way liberalism and everyone was happy and nobody had any problems, supposedly. Um, I never thought in my lifetime I would see somebody coming out and saying, no, we have to decommodify some very basic human needs. This We, we can't go on this way. And and. I, from what I see, especially as an active member of DSA, a lot of DSA members are a lot younger than I am, and watching them become radicalized just from like their own material conditions, mm-hmm. 
you know, it's not like someone came and brainwashed them into reading Marx. They, they sort of, all they've known is war and recession, right? Yes. If you're in your 20s and your early 30s, all you know is war, recession, and the end of the earth because of climate change. Yeah. And you don't, you don't ascribe that to communism or the Soviet Union. You ascribe it to, to capitalism because that's the system that has done this to them and to the planet. And it is, it, it's like Pandora's box. Once it's open and once you understand this and once you analyze the world in this way, you can't undo it. You mm -hmm. can't unsee it. I yes. would also say that I think, you know, Bernie is able to kind of go with this like rise of what, exactly what you're talking about, Walida. But also, I guess I would push back on him being like a full socialist only just okay. because like for me, I'm just like, you know, he yes, he's definitely talking about um, massive government intervention in the capitalist system and like yes, material conditions would improve for everyone based on that. And at the same time, I think it's only possible because it is that specific type of rhetoric and not like we're seizing the means of productions and getting rid of the capitalist class. <laughs> mm -hmm. He opens yes. a space for that, though, which I think is really incredible. Like he yeah. says democratic socialist and someone who like totally, for example, who's like for me, who's a Marxist, it's like, well, OK, that's a little different. You know, social democracies are mm -hmm. a little different from a completely socialist economy, but he's taking the, that word and yes. making it a lot less scary. Well, yeah, he's taking really it out great. of the like Cold War rhetoric, which is really important yes. because especially for all of our parents, like for me, you know, I'm 30 and my my parents and all of their friends, like all of the baby boomer generation is like the word in the United States, socialism and communism has been so, so, so stigmatized through decades of um, red scare tactics. And it's it's a reclaiming in such a huge way. And the fact that Bernie comes from a different generation, but is invoking this in a way that is like so powerful for young people is is absolutely yeah. incredible. Yes, yes. How can leftists cooperate internationally, in your opinion? How, for example, how can the leftists in the U.S. support leftists in Brazil? I mean, we're, we're responsible for, or well, at least we helped in the rise of fascism in your country. It's what we do best. Um, mm -hmm. How can leftists uh, <laughs> su yes. support? Well, we did, yeah, we did have CIA agents training uh, sure. military people in Brazil to torture the, the, uh, yeah, I believe the it. resistance to dictatorship, right, in the 60s yeah. and 70s. Mm -hmm. um, I think we don't have any other option other than be international, right? If we are, because the resistance, uh, the, the, because the spread of fascism, this alliance of evangelicals, this global alliance of evangelicals um, against gender ideology, this alliance of global capitalists uh, that are just going everywhere, every anywhere where where profit is. Is you know we are fighting uh, enemies that are globally organized, yeah. so we, we we don't have any other option than to be international, right? Um, I think I think you know we need to um, give visibility to the issues. I think what a really important way for uh, uh, for the left in countries that have more. Um, that have a louder voice in the public sphere, in the public discourse, it is their responsibility to use that louder voice to vocalize our struggles, not to ventriquelize, not to just 
um, um, uh, take the protagonism of these struggles, but to just you know vocalize, to give, to to shed light into what's going on, to talk more about it, uh, understanding that you know it's not going to be uh, against any sort of interventionism, right? Against any sort of um, uh, concrete military action within any region. So I think uh, a really important thing is to be anti-military interventions anywhere, right? Uh, this is a responsibility of the left in, in imperialistic countries, which not only the U.S., you know, but, uh, European countries have been um, doing their imperialistic missions everywhere as well. Oh, yeah. um, and also showing, I think, uh, I think one of the reasons uh, why the the left is also on the rise while uh, fascism is, is that it's it's evident now and it's undeniable now how um, the capitalist classes, uh, the rich in in our countries, they don't care about any of the things that we care for. They don't care about gender. They don't care about fighting racism. They don't care about the environment. I mean, they they if they if they need to support a, a fascist like Bolsonaro, like Trump, they will because yeah. it's it's business. They they need it for their business. That's something that became so evident in Brazil. How how the industry, how uh, uh, um, commerce, how you know all the the, the capitalist class just stayed silent or, yeah. or endorsed Bolsonaro. They, they, they really don't care. They well, just... no, it's, it's almost like they have a material interest in protecting their class. Uh... Yes, yes, <laughs> of course. That's so strange. <laughs> it is, yes. It's predictable. It's a very predictable behavior. That's what always happens. The, the yes. capitalist the... class will punch left before they punch right every time. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, but there was this, I think, before, uh, under especially under Obama years and under Lula years, they have both both these governments have so much similarity. I think um, there was this impression that you know we can all live well together. We can have big capital. We can have large companies, and we can have rights. We can have minority rights. We can. It's a win-win. Everybody wins. Right. Banks and corporations—they they get their profit. We get to protect women, uh, black people, indigenous people, and everybody will be happy. And what happened in Brazil is that no, when push came to shove, you know, profit first. We don't care. Yeah. Oh, Bolsonaro wants to uh, persecute women, wants to be racist, wants to get the police to kill black people uh, in the mm -hmm. favelas. Okay, let him. As long as we got our pension reform. If yep. that's the price we want it, we're gonna. Yeah. It, it's okay for us. So this has become become evident, and there's like you said, there is no turning back from it. There is yeah. we cannot unsee that anymore. So I it think is the it's crisis. A, it is the crisis of capitalism, and exactly we're, we're watching it happen. Yeah. Exactly, and it's an opportunity for rising of class consciousness mm -hmm. because Definitely. we're not on the same boat. We're not the same. We're not going to be all happy, all getting what we want. No, we yeah. are in a conflict. We are antagonist classes. Yep. Yeah. We are in a struggle. We are in a class yes. war. Yeah. Yes. So 
Um, we are coming close to our time and we try to like, not all, you know, not like in an, uh, in a naive way, I guess, but we, we try to leave things on a bit of a hopeful note. And, um, so I thought we could end with what you believe the future of international feminist movements are, or what do you hope for, I guess, in the future of international feminist movements? Oh, okay. So I think the, the only way to be engaged in politics is by being an optimist, mm-hmm. an, yes. an optimist, right? Yeah. It's the pessimism Absolutely. of the intellect, optimism of the will. Yes. I mean, if we don't believe we can change all of this shit, what were you doing here? Yeah, right? exactly. Yes. Amen. Uh, yes. So I really think we, we can and we will be doing soon a huge... Uh, feminist gathering in the Americas, mm-hmm. right? And we're going to call the Americas because America is not only the U.S. Yes, right? of West. course. <laughs> uh, and, I mean, we could do that, I don't know, maybe in the Caribbean, in Mexico, right? Like in the middle of all of us. And we have this gathering and we have a program and we, we unite our struggle. I think we are more and more um, getting to a moment of really strong international solidarity. And I think um, women are leading that. And indigenous women women fighting for the environment, uh, black women fighting against police b- brutality that is just spiking everywhere. Yeah. Um, so I, uh, what I think is that we are actually really close from having this I think this would be so powerful to have this moment, I don't know, next year, and a, 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 you know, just a huge gathering that we can yeah. just meet each other, that we can just be 10,000 women in the same space mm-hmm. with uh, workshops and um, you know, uh, conversations and huge assemblies with a unified program and just getting to know each other, getting to know our struggles and supporting each other. Um, I think that that would be awesome. And I think it's happening soon in Brazil already. We are trying to do that in South America. Um, there's been a lot of contact uh, between, you know, DSA and PESOL, for instance, in Brazil. There, this, all of this is happening, right? Yeah. And, and at some yeah. point, it just sparks and it's there. It's and it's like it has always been there. It's so amazing how how politics work, right? Sometimes we feel like we are struggling and we're just hitting a wall and nothing is actually going on. But you know, all the underlying currents are there, and when they upsurge, they it's they're there, and and we see that they have always been there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that would be incredible. I would love yes. that. Yes. Mm. Let's talk more about that. Yes, yes. let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Myra, this was so lovely. I'm so grateful you took some time to speak with us today. And um, like this, I learned a lot. And I think that this was just like really, really, really awesome. So thank you yeah. so much for joining us. It is so much. It's very helpful to see um, the similarities in other parts of the world and what's happening in the U.S. It really tells us that our material analysis of what's happening here is really global and it's right. Yeah. Yes. We can sort of see yes. what's happening and predict what's going to happen next. And that's really important. Yes. Thank you so much, Laura and Walida. Uh, it's so important to have spaces where we can, you know, talk about what's going on in the region and, you know, have more awareness here of um, all these important things to us. So thank you so much for having me. Absolutely.
There's one thing I forgot. I was going to ask her, and I totally forgot to ask her. When she was here doing that presentation with um, TV and uh, another woman whose name I'm forgetting, mm. a young man stood up in the audience. Um, oh, really? He was from Columbia, but I think he was in Chicago for school or something. And he said, like, he asked her, he's like, okay, in my university in Columbia, we had a sort of women's, like, feminist strike and all the female students went on strike because they were given a dress code, like they weren't allowed oh, to wear wow. skirts of a certain mm -hmm. length or whatever. And he's like, but every time we tried to help them, they would get upset with us. Huh. So I'm asking you, how can we help? How are we can be allies to women when they don't want us around? And she goes, she looks at him and she goes, uh, the same way women support men, stay home, cook the meals, do her laundry and take care of her life while she's out in the streets fighting. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I love her. She's so good. Well, that was obviously amazing and informative. And so first of all, thank you to Myra for coming on the show and doing all of that. And also just wanted to say thank you to our listeners for being really patient with the fact that I've been fucking sick um, for this last bit and like essentially couldn't function. So thanks for your patience. And I hope that this wait was worth it because um, this freaking interview was amazing. Mm -hmm. um, as always, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Season of the Bee. Um, we just dropped some new designs that we're going to put into merch. The merch itself has not dropped, but um, the designs have dropped and it's really, really, really good. So definitely check that out. Um, we do have other merch for sale at seasonofthebee.com. You can contact us through email at seasonofthebee at gmail.com. You can rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, and send us your money on Patreon. Yay. Yay. That was a great episode. She's, uh, so, she's so delightful to talk to. She's so fucking delightful to talk to. Yeah. Ugh, and so yeah. are you, Alita. So lovely to oh, hear your voice. so are you. Thank you. <laughs> me too. I've missed you. I missed you. I'm glad you're feeling better. Ugh, me too. Um, well, I love you. Love you too. Bye. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Bye. <laughs>